0: We'll be in Nehemiah chapter one in just a minute. But before we get there, I'd like to start off this morning by introducing to a man named Larry Walters. Larry Walters always wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force. It was his life dream, his life's goal and ambition to be able to fly for the Army, for the Air Force. Well, unfortunately, due to poor eyesight, Larry never got the chance to fly. He only ended up serving as a mechanic inside of the Air Force. Well, after he retired some years of being a mechanic, Larry decided to go after and try to achieve his dream of flight. So one day he got the bright idea. He went down to the army surplus store, bought a tank of helium and 45 weather balloons. He comes back to his house, takes a lawn chair and stakes it with ropes to his front yard, fills up the weather balloons and then attaches it to his lawn chair. And his thought was, as he slowly started to cut the ropes, he would gradually drift off the ground, giving him his sense of adventure and his sense of flight that he always uh, dreamed of. Well, unfortunately, with 45 filled weather blooms with helium, you can cut as many ropes as you like, but it's not necessarily going to get you that gradual lift. Larry, once he cut the ropes, shot up into the air until he eventually leveled off at 11,000 feet it ended up taking a Coast Guard helicopter to drop a tow line, have him grab it, and tow him back down to the ground. When he got back on the ground, the reporters and the media, as they typically do, were very frantic, and they ran to him saying, why on earth would you do something like this? And Larry, very calmly, he responded, and he replied, and he says, well, a man just can't sit around for all of his life. I like this story because I think that this speaks to the inner child in all of us. We all have dreams. We all have visions, we all have these ideas of grandeur that we grow up and we raise ourselves seeking this dream, this goal that this is what we want to do, but the world seems to put a limit on what we're able to achieve. We have this dream, like Larry, of flight, but because of circumstances, he wasn't able to achieve this in a natural setting, so we had to create this setting for himself. Same thing for us is that we have these goals and these dreams as we're going growing up, but once we get older, reality sets in. The real world starts to hit us, and we become almost confined to a comfort zone where we're in this little tiny comfort zone that we create for ourselves. Now, in this comfort zone, we like it. We're safe. It's this little little sphere where I feel safe. I'm warm. I'm protected. I know my little area, and I don't want to venture out of my area because it's my Comfort zone. Comfort being the name means that I should stay here. Even though on the outside there may be growth, there may be potential, there may be blessing, that's scary because it's out there in the dark. It's outside of what I know and what I'm used to, and I don't want to venture out. Even though it may seem better out there, I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to take that chance. And so we let the world define how we achieve our dreams or even if we achieve our dreams. See, I'm a creature of habit, and I like to stay inside of my comfort zone. I like things being organized. I like things being laid out, and I like things being planned. And when things throw wrenches into my plan, I'm thrown out of my comfort zone, and I freak out and get all hectic and frantic and crazy, right? All of us have been there. We're like, whoa, 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 what's going on right now? This is my comfort zone. It's there, and I'm standing here. How do I get back in there? And we don't know what to do, and it's really difficult for us to break free from these comfort zones that we place in our lives. But you know what? The Bible is full of people that God has called to step outside of their comfort zones. God says, you're in your comfort zone, but I want to take you out of your comfort zone to do amazing, glorious, wonderful things in my name. But you have to be willing to break free from this comfort zone, from where you currently are. You know, it's been said that the Bible is all about change. And I do agree. I think that we are called to change as believers in Christ into submission to Jesus. We're supposed to change our lives by stepping outside of these comfort zones. What the world has deemed is acceptable for us to live. Cause you know what? The world doesn't dictate who we are as Christians. God dictates who we are as Christians. This morning, we're starting a brand new series called Way Down where we take a, a look back, we reflect upon this past year about all the things that have pressed us down, that have held us back, that have chained us from truly living out the true potential of what God has created us to be. It's a time of reflection where we all sit back and we start to think, oh, I've got New Year's resolutions coming up, where I'm gonna decide to lose weight or go to the gym more or eat less or I'm going to spin less or we start setting things based off of our past experiences. But these goals that we set are all still confined inside of our comfort zone. The goals that we set never branch out of this comfort zone into the unknown where God wants us to be. Where God has called us to go. I think that one of the biggest things that has chained us down, not just this last year, but for all of our lives, is the weight of complacency. And that's the first part of this series. It's being weighed down by complacency. About living this status quo. The regular The routine, the typical, the mundane, the day in and day out, so-so lifestyle that just seems to go on and on and on. We've all been there. We all have days like that where we just get up and it's a routine. It just kicks in habit. Next thing you know, you're at work and you don't even know how you got there. It's just routine. But it's this silent killer that really prevents us from breaking free from our comfort zone and doing the things that God has created us to do. In preparation for the sermon, I was reading in the book of Nehemiah, and I realized that the first thing that God has to do in order to get us to do what he has called us to do is to break us free and get us out of our comfort zones. We see it all throughout the Bible, and I saw it very prevalent in the book of Nehemiah. In, in preparation for this, I started to see Nehemiah and read, and in chapter 1, we find that Nehemiah is in the winter palace of King Artaxerxes, Now, I'm a a biblical history buff. I like reading about Bible history and things that set the stage for it. And so in order for us to see how this champion of God, this amazing man, ended up in the winter palace of the king of Persia, we have to take a look at the history. To do this, we go all the way back in time to the figure of Abraham. You see, Abraham made a covenant with God. And God said, Abraham, if you're faithful and if you obey, I will give you a great nation of descendants. And so Abraham, we know that he was faithful. We know that he obeyed because in scripture, in Genesis, it says that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And because he obeyed, the Hebrew nation was born. And the Hebrew nation, this great, amazing people that God had risen up, were like, yay, God. And they're like, yay, let's do other things other than worship God. And so they started to stray away. And so because of this, they became enslaved to the Egyptians. And we read that the Egyptians were ruthless people. They worked them tirelessly. But God still had a plan for his chosen people. God sent a deliverer in Moses to rescue them from their slavery, to part the Red Sea, to do these amazing miracles, to show them the power of who God is and what he can do. He even gave them 10 commandments to govern their lives and to get them back on track to obedience with God. But we see that all God ever wanted was a loving relationship with his chosen people. But all he ever got was rebellion from the Hebrew nation. There were some times when things were good, but there were more times when things weren't good. And we see this cycle generation after generation after generation. The people do good for a little while, and then they start doing bad again. They do good, and they do bad again. Finally, God had seen enough, and he gave them over to defeat and slavery to the Babylonians. And we said the Babylonians, they come in, and they destroy Jerusalem. They burn down the temple, and they take all of the Jewish people into captivity. They ship them off to Babylon. And it's here in captivity in Babylon that they're, they're struggling. They're, they're slaves once again, and they're crying out to God for help. But even though their situation seemed dire and desperate, God was still in control. God still had a plan for their lives. The Persians come along and defeat the Babylonians. And they decide, you know what? We're going to be nicer to these Hebrew people, to these Jews. So King Cyrus, he becomes the new king of Persia. He decides to send some of the Jews back to their homeland in Jerusalem. He sends about 50,000 Jewish people back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple. So they get there and they start rebuilding the temple. And for 15 years or so, they struggle in completing this task. They don't really know what to do. Obstacles come in their way. Lackluster, complacency sets in. They're like, you know what? We're going to work on building our homes rather than building the temple to God. So for 15 years or so, they struggle. Meanwhile, King Cyrus dies and King Artaxerxes comes on the throne. And we read in the book of Ezra that Ezra is sent to the land of Jerusalem to govern the area. And as he gets there, he sees that the temple is finally rebuilt. But in Jerusalem, the walls and the gates are still in shambles. The people are not protected. So they're vulnerable. They're scared. They're frightened. They don't know what to do. And this is where we pick up in the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah opens, he's in this winter palace of King Artaxerxes with knowing that in this land, there's all this horrible stuff going on. The temple's rebuilt, but the land is in shambles and they're in danger. And so we're going to read Nehemiah chapter one. It's about 11 verses. So if you look at your Bibles or it's up here on the screens and follow along with me. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananai, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, it's broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. I really like this story because I think in order to understand the true context, we have to take a look at this very last portion of verse 11. This last sentence says, I was cupbearer to the king. Doesn't sound like much, does it? All of this great things like I hear the trouble and the stress and I'm compelled to do something. And then he ends with this awkward statement. Oh yeah, and by the way, I was cut married to the king. And it seems out of place to us. But when we really look at it, we see that Nehemiah was in his comfort zone. Nehemiah had a good job and he knew it. He probably have one of the best jobs in the kingdom besides for being the king himself. See, like we said, when the Hebrew people were brought into slavery, they were brought over into slave jobs. They weren't allowed to have good jobs. Even if they tried to get good jobs, the people despised the Jewish people. The Babylonians didn't like them. They didn't want anything to do with these people, so they didn't even give them a chance to be able to work in good positions. But over the time as the Babylonians sifted out and the Persians come in, they start to assimilate into their culture and their society. And they start to get these jobs. Most of Nehemiah's friends were probably laborers or field workers. But Nehemiah, he was the exception. Nehemiah was a success story during this time. I can hear Nehemiah's mom at the market bragging to all of her girlfriends. Oh, my boy, Nehemiah's the best boy ever. He's the king's cupbearer, right? I don't know why she has that weird accent, but she does. You know, but at the same time, I can also see the women going, Oh, not this story about Nehemiah again. We've heard this story over and over and over again. But Nehemiah was the ultimate success story. He was something to brag about. He had this great job. He was in the presence of the king. He was the king's cupbearer, and he carried the king's cup with him to make sure that nobody poisoned the king. Nehemiah was important. Even though all of the people at this time, the Hebrew people, were seen as insignificant and hated, Nehemiah had one of the most important jobs in all of the land. But he was still living inside of his comfort zone. God, as we see in the scripture, has just called Nehemiah out of his comfort zone. Now, many of us are happy in our comfort zones, aren't we? We like it here. We feel safe and we feel warm. And when we're asked or when we feel compelled to step outside of that comfort zone, we don't know what to do. We become unhappy and we are flustered. We don't want to do this. But this morning, as we take a look at Nehemiah's life, we see how Nehemiah was called to break the chains of complacency and break free from the comfort zone that he was in. But at the same time, we can see that God calls each and every one of us in the very same way to break our own chains of complacency. If you look at your outlines, the first fill in the blank here that we learn from Nehemiah is this. We see the first thing that God gave to Nehemiah was a concern for his people. Nehemiah was concerned for his people. He felt compelled. He, he hears about what's happening to his brothers, his sisters, his family, his relative, his friends, everybody he knows. And he's concerned for them. He has a movement in his heart. Look again at what it says in verses 2 through 4. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Nehemiah was concerned for his people. Nehemiah was concerned for the Jewish community, for his brothers, for his sisters. He inquires about these people back home. And when he hears about their condition, about their problems, he's moved. He sits down and he weeps. He cries. He fasts. He prays. He's moved in his heart over what's going on. His community was in trouble and he knew that something must be done about it. Rather, he knew that he had to do something about it because of his position, because of where he was. There's a story about a man who was driving with a broken taillight and an officer pulled him over. And the, as the officer's writing the ticket, the officer sees that the man's becoming quite distressed rather quickly. And so the officer tries to console him and says, you know, calm down, sir. Don't take it so roughly. It's just a minor offense. The man looks up the officer and he says, that's not what frightens me. What really worries me is what happened to my wife in the trailer. There are things that we should be concerned about in life, aren't there? There are things that our priorities should be focused upon. We should be concerned about our community. We should be concerned about the hungry, about the homeless, and most importantly, we should be concerned about the lost, those who are crying out to have the hand of God on their life. Folks, we can't just sit in our comfort zones and pretend to care. We can't say, this is my little bubble, and I'm going to stay confined right here. Yeah, I feel compassion towards them. I feel that this isn't what it's supposed to be, but that's over there, and I'm here. I'm complacent with where I am in my life. I don't have to go out there and help these other people. I shouldn't have to. I have so much else to do. There's so much on my plate. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. Or you know what? It's not my place to help these people. Or even my favorite one where, you know what? Well, I'm not going to help them because somebody else will. But you know what? Everybody else is thinking that very same thing. It's easy for us to be complacent and sit idly by. I lead a monthly high school Bible study, and right now we're studying in the book of James. And James has a lot to say about how we are to help our brothers in need. In his second chapter, he writes, suppose a brother or sister is without clothing or without food. And you go to them and you say, be well, keep peace, and be well fed and hunger, be well fed and clothed. But you do nothing about their physical need? What good is it? What good is it? Yeah, you see these things, you wish them well, but you don't do anything about it. What good is it? See, the point here is that we have to have a genuine concern, a genuine concern that moves us out of our comfort zones. We like it here. We're complacent, and we're fine with where we are. We have compassion. We feel for them, but our concern isn't a genuine concern because if it was a genuine concern, we would be out of this comfort zone lickety split to go and help the other person or the other people that we see. It's easy for us to get comfortable. We all have our Sunday morning routines, right? We stretch, we get out of bed, realize it's 32 degrees in the house and crawl back under the sheets and hit the snooze again. Then we get back up 10 minutes before church, get dressed, and we come to church, walk in, sit here and clap as the worship's going on. And some of us clap on the beat, and some of us are like creating beats of our own. It's awesome. You know, sometimes you just got that beat in your head you just got to go with. You feel the spirit move. But we clap, and then we sit down, and we listen to Pastor Larry or Pastor Carlos or Pastor David preach and we've accepted them as part of our family and we like their teaching and we recognize what they have to say is meaningful to our life. And at the end of the sermon, the offering plate comes by and we do our tithe as a good Christian should. And then we get back up and we worship and we walk out. But you know what? As soon as we cross the threshold of the church, that message is gone. We start thinking in our minds, oh my gosh, I have to get all the Christmas decorations down. It's almost January. We start thinking, you know what? That new movie's out. Let's go and see that movie. Or I'm really hungry. Let's go and eat somewhere. And the message of the gospel is lost. It's gone. It never makes it past the threshold of the church. Why? Because we're comfortable and we're complacent just sitting here and passively listening, but not doing anything about the word of God, what he calls us to do. You know what, folks? This lifestyle is a lifestyle that's living in a rut. This is a rut. Let me share the definition of a rut with you. A rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. It's the ultimate comfort zone where once you're in, you either die or you decide to get out. That's it. Those are your only two options. We must get out of our comfort zones as individuals, as a community and a body of believers. We need to feel this concern for the people around us and do something about it. But that's not the only thing that Nehemiah did. If you look at the second main point, is that once Nehemiah was concerned, Nehemiah moved to confession. Nehemiah confessed. He realized that he had gotten comfortable with where he was in his life. He realized that what he was doing wasn't truly living out what God had called him to do. So he confessed and he says, God, forgive me for it. He cries out and he says, God, I have not done what you have called me to do. I'm supposed to do these amazing and these great feats for you. And I'm just sitting idly by and doing nothing about it because I'm complacent and I'm happy with where I am. And so he asked God for forgiveness, but more so he asked God for empowerment. If you look what it says in verses five through nine again, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love. With those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah, he confessed his sins, but not only did he confess his sins, he asked God for empowerment. He says, God, give me the strength. God, give me the power to break these chains of complacency. Give me the power to break free from this circle of the comfort zone that I have built for myself. Let me overcome these obstacles, these walls that confine me and press me down. But you know what? We have to do the same thing in order for us to break from our comfort zones. And this first step is we have to talk to God. We have to ask God and say, God, we all confess that we are living a complacent life, that we are living a life in a comfort zone. We need to confess these sins in our life and we need to ask God to break us from our sins of complacency and to get up and to start doing something about it. Listen to that again. We need to confess our sins of complacency and get up and start doing something about it. Complacency is just sitting idly by and not doing anything which God has called you to do. There's a story told of a Canadian goose that was flying across the farmlands of Kansas. It got separated from the rest of the flock, and it spied a a flock of geese on a pond. And they looked so much like he did that he flew down to join them. But what he didn't know is that these were Toulouse geese, and the Toulouse geese don't fly. Well, he flew down, he settled in, and he was accepted by the flock. These geese were fed daily by the farmer's wife. And the Canadian goose soon got used to being fed every day and soon started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The following year, a flock of Canadian geese came overhead and the goose thought about flying up to join them. He started flapping his wings and he realized that it was very difficult to fly with the extra weight. So he just decided that he was happy as he was. He had gotten used to this life and he was now living in his comfort zone. Life was good and he had settled into a life of comfort and complacency. After that, in the spring and the fall, the goose would hear the geese honking as they passed overhead, and for a minute, his eyes would look up and gleam, and he'd start flapping his wings almost without realizing it. But then a day came when those others would pass overhead, uttering their cry, and the now tame goose would not pay the slightest attention. Folks, we can't be like this goose. I know it's a horrible analogy, but we can't be like this goose and sit idly by being fed by the lies and the deceit that the world feeds us saying, you're okay right here where you are. You're fine in your little comfort zone. No, God is calling us to do so much more amazing things. We must confess the sins of complacency in our lives. We must break free from the bonds and these chains that weigh us down of complacency and ask God for his empowerment. Only God can break these chains. And that's what Nehemiah knew. The third thing that we see here is Nehemiah was concerned. Nehemiah confessed. And after he confessed, Nehemiah was convicted. Nehemiah knew that something must be done. He had to do something. He was in a great position. He had the ability to do something. And now he's convicted to act upon it. Look at the last part of verse 11. It says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah was convicted that he must do something. And this is ultimately what got him out of his comfort zone. He knew that he had to do something, and if he stayed in his comfort zone, he would never be able to achieve his dreams, what God was calling him to do. Nehemiah had a call to action. God had called him specifically to do something. But God is calling each and every one of us in this room to action as well. God's calling you. He's convicting your heart. We see what needs to be done. We know what it's going to take and we're concerned. We confess that we've been complacent. We ask God for guidance and for power. And we're convicted to act just like Nehemiah was convicted. This is our call to action. We must get out of our comfort zone and break these chains of complacency that weigh us down. Break free from them and get to work for the kingdom of God, what he has called us to do. You know, the greatest danger to a believer in Jesus is to become content with lower standards than what God wants for you and I to live. The world tends to dictate what those standards are, but God has called us to so much more amazing, greater things. The danger is to become half-hearted in living this Christian life. Complacency is and indifference are real dangers. Listen to the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs. He says, for the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. You know, there are two symptoms of complacency that we need to look at. First, there is the satisfaction with the way that things are, and next is the rejection of the way that things may be. We're satisfied with the way things are. In my little bubble, in my comfort zone, I'm safe, I'm satisfied, I like it here. This is home. And I see that there could be something amazing and great over here, but that's too much of a risk. God may be calling me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. So I reject it because I'm happy with where I am. But this is living a lukewarm life. This is a life that's in the middle ground. And God doesn't want us to live a lukewarm life. Look what it says in Revelation. It says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The middle ground is actually the lowest ground. You see that? It's the lowest ground. Jesus says, I would rather have you love or hate. I don't like this indifference. I don't like this lukewarm living. He says, I would rather have you love or hate because I can't stand indifference. I'd rather have you hot or cold because I hate complacency. God's not calling us to be a fence sitter. The middle ground is the lowest ground. And I struggled with this for a while, trying to figure this out. And the way that I found the answer and how it made sense to me came from Romans chapter nine. And it really looking at it in the context of complacency and indifference, it really opened my eyes to understand this better. You know what Romans 9.13 says? It says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Whoa, wait a second. This is God speaking. says, when it comes to Jacob, yeah, he's my man. I love him. But Esau, I hate him. I don't like him. What's going on here? This is God speaking. How can he love somebody but hate the other person? What's the reason for this? Well, you have to look at Genesis to understand this. Esau, he had this birthright and he was indifferent about it. God had given Esau this great plan, this great purpose for his life, but he was complacent and he chose to go his own way rather than following the plan of God in his life. But you know what? Each and every one of us has a plan and a purpose from God in our own lives. God has something specific for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you, and you're never going to achieve it if you're staying inside of your comfort zone. You've got to break free from this barrier, this bond that holds you down, and go and let God use you. There are people in this world that God wants to do amazing things through that God wants to preach his message. He wants to impart love and he wants to impart power and lift them up from the depths of sin and from the corruption of this world. But you know what? You're the only person who can reach them. God wants to use you to make a difference in their life. How are you treating that purpose that God has for you? How are you treating that plan that God has for your life? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You're to love God with how much of your heart, how much of your soul, how much of your mind? All of it. Every last little bit of it. God doesn't want you to be a fence setter. He doesn't want you to be complacent or indifferent. He wants you to have a passion for the things that he has a passion for. Folks, shouldn't we be concerned about the things that God's concerned about? Shouldn't we love the things that God loves, hate the things that God hates, be passionate about the things that God is passionate about? If we're not, we're indifferent. Can you imagine what Jesus would have been like if he was complacent or indifferent? There'd be no salvation because he was complacent about you. Nah, not my problem. He was indifferent about you. That guy, he doesn't deserve the gift that I'm gonna give him. But no, we have a God who was so passionate about us so overwhelmingly in love with us that he broke through any chains of complacency, any barriers that separated him, he came down recognizing a concern for his people. These are my children. I'm concerned about them. I confess that they're living in sin and this is the only way that they're going to be freed. And I'm convicted that something has to happen because they cannot attain this righteousness on their own. So he acts upon it and he passionately goes to the cross and dies for us something that we never deserve. God did not choose the middle ground for us. At this time, I'd like to call up the worship team as we're closing. And there's one other type of conviction that I'd like to talk about this morning as they prepare. Have you felt like you want to do something in your life, but something is holding you back? That you don't have the desire or the passion to step out of your comfort zone where it's safe, where it's warm and go into the unknown? Do you feel weighed down by complacency? Do you feel like you know that you need to do something, but you don't know how to achieve it, how to get there? This morning, what's convicting you? What is God putting on your heart? What do you feel called to do? And what barriers and what obstacles are in your path? What's preventing you from allowing God to use you to break your chains of complacency and do amazing, wonderful things in his name? Think about it and listen to what God is calling you to do. What do you feel that God is calling you to do? What are you convicted of? Have you cried out to God and confessed your sins of complacency? Have you reached out and asked him for help? You asked him to lift you up from this rut that you were living in? Have you accepted his outstretched arm to you, wanting to pick you up and pull you from the depths of complacency? If you want to grab a hold of his hand and have him lift you up today, I'd ask you all to join me in prayer. God, it's so easy to just go through the motions and be spiritual and somehow think that I'm better off than others. God, your words in revelation to the church at Laodicea ring loud and clear. But since you're lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Father, help me overcome complacency through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, may our lives be a testimony to your greatness and your power. God, help us to know the truth more and more each day and allow the truth to set us free, free from pretense, free from ego, free from flesh, free from me. Lord, let us be concerned for the world around us to confess that we need you to break free from these chains that weigh us down and have conviction in our heart to change. Thank you for your word, which speaks truth. Help us understand your truth and how it applies to our culture and our context and be willing to adjust our lives to it. Word of God, speak. Be still and know that you are there. God, you're amazing in your character, and your spirit is beyond my ability to understand. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we can walk in your truth. Give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. We praise you, God, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and glorify your name forever. Great is your love for us. In your name, amen.